President Trump gets acquitted by the Senate despite seven Republicans voting in favor of conviction. The Biden administration is openly screwing with the science on COVID just to please the teachers' unions and President Biden's radical administration. It's just getting started. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. For peace of mind, whenever you go online, visit expressvpn.com slash Ben. We'll get to all the news in just one moment quickly. A reminder, just want to tell you, you could be saving a lot of money on that cell phone bill. I know you haven't thought about it in a while, but the reality is every time you ignore your bill monthly, you're just letting the money go straight down the toilet or to those cell phone providers. And, and again, you don't need to do that. Instead, you should be checking out Pure Talk USA. Over a thousand of you, my extremely wise listeners, have made the switch from your overpriced wireless carrier to Pure Talk over the past couple of months. What exactly are the rest of you waiting for? If you're with AT&T, Verizon, or T-Mobile, your family could save over $800 a year just by switching to Pure Talk. You get the same great coverage because they use the exact same towers as one of the big carriers. You can even keep your phone and your number, but you will save a fortune. By the way, Pure Talk is the top-rated wireless company by Consumer Affairs with the absolute best customer service team based right here in America. Sound good? It gets better. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data for just 30 bucks a month. And if you go over on data, they're not going to charge you for it. Grab your mobile phone and dial pound 250. Say my name, Ben Shapiro, to get started. When you do, you save 50% off your first month. Dial pound 250. Say keyword Ben Shapiro. Pure Talk USA is simply smarter wireless. Go check them out right now by dialing pound 250 and say my name, Ben Shapiro, to get 50% off your very first month. Okay, so over the weekend on Saturday, President Trump became the first president ever to go for two, two for two in impeachment acquittal. So he's been impeached twice. It happened basically within the space of a year, and he was acquitted twice by the Senate. This time, there were more votes to impeach him or convict him in the Senate than there were last time around. Last time, it was a straight party vote with only Mitt Romney breaking ranks. This time, there were seven Republicans breaking ranks, according to ABC News, exactly a month and a week after insurrectionists incited a riot at the Capitol on January 6th. And you got to love the the loaded language there from ABC News. Former President Donald Trump's second impeachment trial came to a climactic end on Saturday afternoon, with Trump being acquitted for his alleged role in inciting the deadly event. A majority of senators voted to convict, but failed to reach the supermajority threshold needed for conviction. Trump said in a statement, this has been yet another phase of the greatest witch hunt in the history of our country. No president has ever gone through anything like it. It continues because our opponents cannot forget the almost 75 million people, the highest number ever for a sitting president who voted for us just a few short months ago. He's not totally wrong about this particular fact. The reality is that since he was elected in 2016, there were many, many people who simply could not accept the fact that Trump was president. And then there were a lot of people who were so upset that 75 million Americans voted for him in November that they attempted to essentially lump in all of those people with the Capitol rioters. I've been saying this since the day it happened. It was pretty obvious that the left wing and media agenda here was to lump everybody in together with the people who committed actual criminal and evil acts on January 6th. President Trump said, our historic, patriotic, beautiful movement to make America great again has only just begun. In the months ahead, I have much to share with you. I look forward to continuing our incredible journey together to achieve American greatness for all of our people. There has never been anything like it. Drama ensued on the Senate floor on Saturday morning when senators voted to hear from witnesses. So here's the reality here. The reality is that Democrats made it kind of easy on Republicans. I should be frank about this. Democrats blew this one. The reason that they blew this one is because they recognized a simple reality. The longer this trial dragged out, the more Americans were going to ask a very easy question. Why are we doing this? Like really, this is what always happens with impeachments. At the very beginning, there's a fair bit of support for them. And then as they drag on, the polls start to turn against the party that's doing the impeachment. That is particularly true when the person they're attempting to impeach and convict has been out of office for months because Democrats did not want to call witnesses. They wanted to get this thing done fast. So Democrats made two mistakes here. Like very early, they made two mistakes. One was 
They had a snap impeachment in the House. Now, the argument for the snap impeachment in the House was that this happened on January 6th. We'll impeach him by January 10th. We'll get him out of there by January 15th. And then we won't have to worry about the last five days, him leading some sort of insurrection. But here's the thing. Democrats didn't believe that. Because if Democrats had actually believed that, then they would have moved fast in the Senate, which they did not. Remember, Nancy Pelosi passed the impeachment in the House with essentially a straight party line vote, 10 Republicans voting in favor. And then instead of transmitting the articles of impeachment to the Senate right away, she waited for like a very long weekend in order to get it to the Senate. And by that point, it was basically five days from the time that Trump was to leave office anyway. So that wasn't enough time for the Senate to actually do its work. So if the idea is we need to get rid of this guy like ASAP right now because he's so dangerous, then she would have transmitted it right away, which was the explanation for, of course, why they had a snap impeachment in the first place. If, however, the idea here is that you have to punish a president who's no longer in office because we can't let a future president think he can get away with this sort of stuff. Well, then you wouldn't have had the snap impeachment, would you? You would have had a full-scale investigation. The House would have done its work. It would have taken months. They would have deposed probably hundreds of witnesses. They would have had to talk to everybody immediately around Trump about his activities that day and immediately before and after. They didn't do any of that. So what that meant is that you ended up with the Democrats basically catching as catch can, which suggests that, again, their strategy here was not really to get a conviction. Their strategy here was almost entirely about painting one side of the political aisle as complicit in January 6th. That's really what this was about. Because, again, if it was about snap impeachment, they would have moved faster in the first place. And then once they got past Trump leaving office, the rationale for the snap impeachment was gone because he was out. Right now would be the time for the full scale investigation. So what could have happened? Well, the Senate could have called witnesses. And this is what it came down to over the weekend. There was this really, really bizarre situation in which Democrats reversed themselves on witnesses. So what happened is that there was a, a Republican congressperson who basically was going to testify that she had talked to Kevin McCarthy and Kevin McCarthy had talked to Trump and Kevin McCarthy had told Trump to call off the dogs and Trump didn't call off the dogs or, or any of this. And so this came out late on, on Friday night, early Saturday morning, and the Democrats in the House then voted, you know what, maybe we should call witnesses. And then the Senate Democrats voted, maybe we should call witnesses. And then within an hour, they reversed themselves on Saturday morning and said, you know what, forget it, we're not gonna call witnesses, let's just take, let's just take a vote. According to the Washington Post, the debate among the House impeachment managers raged through the night as the hours and then minutes ticked down early Saturday before what was widely expected to be the final day of former President Donald Trump's Senate trial. After weeks of bending to political pressure to ensure a speeding proceeding, some on the House team wanted to make one final furious push to demand a more intensive investigation, to call witnesses to talk about Trump's behavior before, during, and after the mob attack on the Capitol on January 6th. Right, which again, that, that is a position that makes sense. If you believe that this was such a grave evil and injustice on the part of Trump, right now, not on the part of the rioters, on the part of Trump, that you required a full-scale 9-11 style commission, well, then you should have done that. And so how some of the House impeachment managers were like, okay, well, you know what? I know we're supposed to vote on this thing, but why don't we go ahead and do that? And Senate Democrats initially were like, well, okay. And then they reversed themselves. According to the Washington Post, should they seek to call a Republican lawmaker who is willing to talk about her knowledge of Trump's dismissive comments to the House GOP leader who pled with him during a riot to call off his supporters? Should they call the leader himself, Kevin McCarthy? What about aides to former Vice President Mike Pence, whose dramatic evacu evacuation was caught on security video played for the first time publicly last week? Any of these moves risked extending the proceedings for weeks, but nonetheless, these potential surprise developments consumed the managers late into Friday night and in the wee hours on Saturday, according to multiple Democrats with the uh, f who are familiar with the deliberations. 
In the end, the managers backed off, allowing the Senate vote to take place as expected, but not before a chaotic back and forth caught senators off guard, sent Trump's legal team into a fury, and exposed long simmering tensions among Democrats over how aggressively to hold the former president accountable. The debate over witness testimony continued to loom large after the vote as key questions about Trump's actions and motives remained unanswered. See, this was the big problem. There were two big problems with the Democrats' impeachment push. One was the actual impeachment charge, which centered around incitement. Incitement is very difficult to prove. Suggesting that Trump, quote unquote, incited the riot when he said to peacefully and patriotically march down to the Capitol to show displeasure. That is not a particularly convincing argument because, again, incitement is a pretty high bar. And suggesting that it was incitement to insurrection is a double high bar. Because, again, you have to show, number one, that it was incitement. And number two, that Trump actually wanted an insurrection, not just people to go and do something criminal. He wanted an insurrection to overthrow the United States government, which, again, there's very little evidence of. So that was problem number one with all of this. The second problem over all of this is that many of the accusations that were being made about Trump's behavior were being made second or third hand. It was unnamed staffer inside the White House talking to New York Times. And the Democrats didn't bother to call witnesses. They just cited the New York Times report. That ain't going to be good enough to support an impeachment effort. Now we're going to get to more of this in just one second. First, let's talk about the fact that the Second Amendment, it's going to be under fire now. Okay, Joe Biden, we'll get to this a little bit later on the show. Joe Biden is now proposing widespread gun bans. He's talking about an assault, a so-called assault weapons ban. He's talking about limitations on magazines and all the rest of it. This means now would be an excellent time to protect your own individual liberty and your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms by heading on over to our friends over at Bravo Company Manufacturing. They know that owning a rifle is an awesome responsibility and that building rifles is no different, which is why I am so impressed with BCM. The people over at Bravo Company Manufacturing support the right of responsible private individuals to have the access and ability to employ the same tools as civilian law enforcement as a means of defending ourselves, our loved ones, our communities, and our freedoms. Should, God forbid, a threatening situation ever arise. BCM assumes that when a rifle leaves their shop, it will be used in a life or death situation by a responsible citizen, law enforcement officer, or a soldier overseas. So quality is of the utmost value to them. Every component of a BCM rifle is hand assembled and tested by Americans. As an American, you have the luxury of living in a free society where you can improve your life through education and religious exploration and open exchange of ideas. All that stuff is protected by the Second Amendment. To learn more about Bravo Company Manufacturing, head on over to bravocompanymfg.com. You can discover more about their products, special offers, upcoming news. That's bravocompanymfg.com. I have a rifle from Bravo Company. It is a fantastic piece of machinery. If you need more convincing, find out even more about BCM and the awesome people who make their products at youtube.com slash USA. Okay, so the, the Democrats put themselves in a very difficult position with this impeachment because they were very inconsistent in their pursuit. First, they said it was a crisis. Then they said it was not a crisis. First, they said that it was about incitement for insurrection. And then they said it was about Trump's general activity between November and January 6th. Well, they didn't try to bring an impeachment charge against him in December. And he was saying exactly the same things in January as he was saying in December, for example. And as it turns out, a lot of the language that they say that Trump was using that was quote unquote incitement is language that has been used by Democrats over and over. This is the point that Trump's team made on Friday when they were closing their argument. They just played tape over and over of Democrats saying exactly the same kind of stuff that Trump has said, and nobody batting an eye. In the Senate, Democrats are going to fight like hell to make this a reality. We are going to fight like hell to protect your vote. Well, I'll tell you, I'm confident that we're going to fight like hell to make sure they can. We are going to fight like hell to make sure that everyone who wants to vote can exercise that right to vote. This election is coming, whether the president wants it or not. And we're going to fight like hell in Congress to make sure that the mail still works. Today, Biden's VP Kamala Harris told supporters in a fundraising note that it is time to, quote, fight like hell to protect the Supreme Court. 
Okay, so the, the fact that the Trump impeachment managers, the, the defense team, that they were saying, you know, you guys use this kind of language all the time and you have no problem with it. That is accurate. I've said all along, there is no neutral standard that Democrats are going to uphold here in going after Trump on the basis of incitement. If they'd gone for a vigor charge, I said this early on, if they just wanted to say abusive power, then it would have given Republicans some wiggle room. But at the same time, it would have given them less wiggle room. On the one hand, more wiggle room because abusive power is not an actual legal charge. On the other hand, abusive power is probably a more accurate description of what they think Trump did between November 4th and January 6th. In any case, here was Trump's lawyer saying, you guys keep saying incitement over and over and over. I'm not sure that that word means what you think it means. At no point in their presentation did you hear the House managers play a single example of Mr. Trump urging anyone to engage in violence of any kind. At no point did you hear anything that could ever possibly be construed as Mr. Trump encouraging or sanctioning an insurrection. Senators, you did not hear those tapes because they do not exist. Because the act of incitement never happened. Okay. Meanwhile, the Democrats are still trying to make an excuse for why exactly they didn't call the witnesses. Because again, if they wanted to show not only incitement, but that there was action by Trump on January 6th to, for example, hold up the sending of law enforcement. Well, then now would have been the time. Jamie Raskin was trying to make excuses for this. He's like, well, you know, but you know what? No, no matter what we said, no matter what we said, Republicans would have just voted to acquit. Number one, that may very well be true, but that's not the point. The point is that if you wanted to actually bring the strongest possible impeachment charge, what you actually would have done is, you know, the basic research. Here was Jamie Raskin trying to make an excuse for what was very obviously a politically motivated impeachment. Trump knew exactly what they were doing. He knew that that mob, which he had deployed, yeah. was there, you know, occupying people's offices and threatening Congress. So it was there for everybody to see. Right. So we could have had a thousand witnesses, but that could not have overcome the kinds of silly arguments that uh, people like McConnell and Capito were hanging their hats on. Uh, They're trying to have it both ways. OK, but the, here's the problem. You still have to provide the evidence. If you don't provide the evidence, you actually leave Republicans with the Perfectly plausible defense that you guys didn't provide the evidence of the chief charge that you were attempting to make. But again, this was all political from the get-go. There were seven Republicans who joined with the Democrats to vote in favor of the conviction. That had been Senators Mitt Romney of Utah, not a surprise, Susan Collins of Maine, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, Ben Sass of Nebraska, Bill Cassidy of Louisiana, Richard Burr of North Carolina, and Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania. The latter two, kind of interesting, I believe both of those guys are retiring after this particular round because they don't want to be primaried, presumably. There's already some talk of doing that in these particular home states. But it does show that if you're in a purple state, they are less Trumpy in the purple states than they would be in the non-purple states. And that's something that Republicans should keep in mind going forward, which leads to Mitch McConnell's response to all of this. So Mitch McConnell did two things. One, he voted against the impeachment because he said, listen, you can't impeach somebody who's already out of office. Right. Otherwise, you could just impeach private individuals. That's not what this is really for. But he also slammed Trump in pretty personal terms. It's pretty obvious that McConnell and many in the Republican higher echelon would like to separate off from Trump at this point. You know, thanks for all the cheese, but we're done at this point. Here's Mitch McConnell going after Trump while simultaneously not voting for his impeachment. They did this because they'd been fed wild falsehoods by the most powerful man on earth. Because he was angry, he lost an election. Former President Trump's actions preceded the riot were a disgraceful, disgraceful dereliction of duty. Okay, so that is an argument that's been made by a lot of Republicans is that Trump's behavior here was really, really bad. 
But what this is really about for McConnell and for a lot of Republicans is minimizing Trump's influence going forward on the party. And you can see why. The reality is that politically speaking, Trump underperformed nearly every Republican across the country in 2020. I know that that is counter to the sort of prevailing view among Republicans, which is that Trump boosted turnout on the right side of the aisle. He did boost some turnout on the right side of the aisle, but not for him. Right. He boosted turnout on the right side of the aisle, but he also boosted turnout on the left side of the aisle, which is why Joe Biden, a dead candidate, a person who has not been living for several years, ended up winning 80 million votes in the popular vote. So you can see why McConnell is doing what he's attempting to do here, which is I'm not going to separate off from the party. I understand that people are using the impeachment as a litmus test of loyalty to the Republican Party. I'm not going to you know, vote against that. At the same time, Trump should not be a key figure going forward. That's that's McConnell's attempt. Meanwhile, the Democrats are attempting pretty strongly to tie all Republicans to Trump's knee here. Here's Nancy Pelosi suggesting that every Republican is complicit in January 6th, not just Trump, every single Republican who didn't vote in favor of impeachment. That was always the goal here. Right? The goal here was, was never that they were actually going to get a conviction of Trump or even that they were going to do the, the legwork necessary to support an impeachment of Trump. Instead, it was really about how can we best politically lump in everybody all together really quickly and then move on with our lives? Mike Pence, hang Mike Pence was the chant, and they just dismissed that. Why? Because maybe they can't get another job. What is so important about any one of us? What is so important about the political survival of any one of us that is more important than our Constitution that we take an oath to protect and defend. Okay, let me just say this about political leaders. When, when political leaders grandstand this way, you should never believe them because political leaders are, are not meant to be moral leaders. They're just not. I was, I was, we're getting to the portion of the Bible in, in Judaism. Every week we read a different portion of the Bible. We're getting to the portion of the Bible at this point where the Jews build the golden calf. It's right after they receive the Torah, they receive the Old Testament. And then Moses goes back up the mountain and they, get, they freak out and they build the golden calf. And the question is, why do they build the golden calf? What's so special about a golden calf? And the reason that they build a golden calf is because they want something that is going to lead them, but also be a reflection of them, right? Something in which they had a part, right? It says in the, in the Bible that all of the Israelites, all the Jews, they take out their nose rings and their earrings and they melt, and they melt them down and they make this God, right? And then they're going to worship that God. They worship the, God, the neon God that they'd made, right? This is what we do with our politicians. We elect these schmucks. Okay, so it's our fault. And then we look to them and we say, why can't they lead us? Well, they can't lead you because they're reflections of you. They're not going to tell you things you don't want to hear. Their literal job is to tell you things that you want to hear. This is what politicians do for a living. So when Nancy Pelosi stands there and she says things like, why do these politicians, why do they think that, that their own job is so much more important than this institution? Yeah, Nancy, I'm sure that, that that consideration has never crossed your mind under any circumstances. But, but here's the reality when it comes to Pelosi and the Democrats and this impeachment. It was perfectly obvious what this was from the beginning. As soon as January 6th happened, they saw it not as a tragedy, but as an opportunity for the most part. It was both. It was both for them. It can be both, right? It can be tragedy. It can be a criminal act. It can also be an opportunity politically for them to ram down their entire agenda, which is why they rushed this thing. That, that They've openly said this, by the way, is that Joe Biden's agenda is more important than taking their time with the impeachment to determine whether Trump is actually guilty and convictable. What this was really about is making the political point and then using that as fuel to push forward Joe Biden's ridiculous agenda. And his agenda is ridiculous. Joe Biden himself put out a statement. He says, it was nearly two weeks ago that Jill and I paid our respects to Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick, who laid an honor in the rotunda after losing his life protecting the Capitol from a riotous violent mob on January 6th, 2021. By the way, we're still finding out some of the details as to what exactly happened with Officer Sicknick. The original reports that he was hit in the head with a fire extinguisher apparently are untrue. That doesn't mean he didn't die in defense of the Capitol. We just don't know really much what happened at this point. 
Biden said today, 57 senators, including a record seven Republicans, voted to find former President Trump guilty of inciting that deadly insurrection on our very democracy. This Senate vote followed the bipartisan vote to impeach him by the House of Representatives. While the final vote did not lead to a conviction, the substance of the charge is not in dispute. Even those opposed to the conviction, like Senate Minority Leader McConnell, believed Trump was guilty of a quote-unquote disgraceful dereliction of duty and practically and morally responsible for provoking the violence unleashed on the Capitol. Okay, well, this would be the time, presumably, for, if that's true, right, if, if that's what he believes, that it's, it's not in dispute, now would be a good time to recognize that everybody's on the same side, right? But um, that's not what's going to happen here. Right, so Biden says this that... that We have to realize that we all have a duty and responsibility as Americans to defend the truth and defeat the lies. That's how we end this uncivil war. Okay, and the very first move the left makes immediately is, oh yeah, and by the way, you need to agree with all of the elements of our agenda. So Charles Blow over at the New York Times, symbolizing this point of view. He says, Blue Lives Matter is over. Weird. Um, I I noticed that you weren't a big supporter of Blue Lives Matter for like this entire time. That in fact, if you said Blue Lives Matter, Then Charles Blow got very, very upset with you because he was saying that that is some sort of denigration of the idea that black lives matter if you suggest that police lives matter. But now he says blue lives matter is over. Blue lives matter is over because there were people who didn't vote in favor of convicting President Trump in the Senate, which means they don't care about cops. Now, that argument could very well be extended to black lives matter, which obviously does not give two craps about the vast number of black people who are being killed by other black people in the United States. This is a point that has been very well made by a bunch of advocates for civil rights who happen to be on the right side of the aisle, which is that Black Lives Matter, if it wanted to be taken seriously, maybe they ought to worry about things like the vast number of young black men who are being killed by young black men in cities that actually lack a police presence. But Charles Blow would never say that Black Lives Matter doesn't care about black lives because of their absolute willingness to to ignore the risk to young black life in removing the police. But here he is saying Blue Lives Matter doesn't matter to all Republicans because they didn't vote in favor of conviction. This is all about the politics. And Democrats never played it any other way. There was no point at which they said that this was about a higher principle or which they plausibly said that anyway. It was never about a higher principle. That was obvious from their conduct. It was obvious from how they laid out the charge. And it was perfectly obvious from everything up to and including the very last day of this impeachment when they could have called witnesses and decided not to out of political expedience. One of the Democrats even admitting we just wanted to get home for the weekend. Yeah, that sounds like principle to me, Nancy Pelosi. Alrighty, in just a second, we're going to get to that radical Biden agenda because I got to say, they have now set out the CDC standards for COVID in schools, for for reopening the schools that are madness. We're going to get to this in a second because the party of science is just the party of, of garbage. We'll get to this in one moment. First, let us talk about an incredible organization. I'm talking about our friends over at Prager University. The America we love is slipping away. You can feel it. Are we going to let the left win victory after culture of victory or are we going to do something about it? Prager University Foundation. It's better known as PragerU. They are a nonprofit media powerhouse. Several of us here at The Daily Wire are featured in PragerU videos. They're essentially one of our sister companies. They're they are not affiliated with us, but we help them out. They're, they're wonderful people over at PragerU. PragerU knows how to reach millions of young people online like no other nonprofit. Young people aren't hearing the reasons for America's success. They aren't learning our values. PragerU is addressing that head on. If you want to help save America, The best way to do it, PragerU.com forward slash donate. PragerU's videos are watched 4 million times every single day. More than 70% of viewers say their minds were changed after watching and more than 60% of these viewers are young. They are targeting the next generation and they are doing so in excellently produced fashion. They have videos from people like me. They have videos from people like Michael Moles. They have videos from all sorts of really interesting and fascinating and important figures in the conservative movement explaining everything from the merits of capitalism to the merits of individual versus social justice. 
I have a video on intersectionality. They have all sorts of great stuff over at PragerU. You should go check them out. PragerU is also leading the charge against big tech censorship, fighting for our voices to be heard far and wide. PragerU is on the front lines of the culture war every day. They need your help to supply the fight. If you want to be sure your donation dollars will be used to support your values, donate to PragerU today at PragerU.com forward slash Daily Wire. That is PragerU.com forward slash Daily Wire. Go check them out right now. They are well worthy of your time and your money. Okay, so meanwhile, the, the impeachment ends and Democrats ended it early because they really wanted to push forward with this massive Biden agenda. Now, here's the thing. Biden's COVID agenda is a bunch of garbage. It is garbage. Okay, this $1.9 trillion stimulus plan is about four times too large for even the gap that is going to be created by COVID this year. It includes a bunch of terrible economic policies like $15 minimum wage. It is going to blow a hole in the national debt and deficit. Some of us have been very opposed to this, even when Donald Trump was president. We already are going to spend over 100% of our GDP this year. It's going to be well above that once we add that $1.9 trillion in. Inflation will come. Sooner or later, people are going to realize we ain't paying back this money without inflating the currency or without killing the American economy through austerity measures. And so it is perfectly obvious where this is all headed. But you want to know how politicized the Biden administration approach to things is? All you have to do is look at their COVID policy with regard to schools, because this is insane. So let's begin with this. They're liars over there. They are. The the truth-telling team in Team Biden, they are liars. Here's Kamala Harris, the vice president of the United States, suggesting again that there is no COVID vaccination strategy when the Biden team entered office. This is just overtly a lie. Dr. Anthony Fauci, the greatest of all doctors, second only to Jill Biden. He's such an amazing doctor. Dr. Fauci, who's never switched his mind on anything and has always been crystal clear and has been perfectly consistent and absolutely honest and forthright with the American public. I'm being super sarcastic right here in case you can't hear it in my voice. But even Dr. Fauci said, this is just a lie. Of course, there is a COVID vaccination strategy. We were giving a million shots a day by the time that Joe Biden took office. You'll recall that Joe Biden then declared he was going to give 100 million shots in the next 100 days, which averages out to, I'm not amazing at math, but 100 divided by 100 is one. So it's gonna average out to 1 million shots a day. Amazingly, we were already giving a million shots a day by the time Biden took office, but apparently they inherited no plan. Everybody knew this was a lie. The media know this is a lie, but they never bother following up on it, even though it is perfectly obviously a lie. Here is Kamala Harris, presumably laughing over uh, another lie. I mean, the challenge, Mike, is, you know, what I explained to the mayors, um, there was no stockpile, right? It's in many ways... No stockpile of... Of vaccines, right? So we're looking at this. There was no national strategy or plan for vaccinations. We were leaving it to the states and local leaders to try and figure it out. And so in many ways, we are com- we're starting from scratch. Okay, so that's just a lie. They are not starting from scratch. They are not close to starting from scratch. It's just untrue. This is not to run down Biden's attempts to get new supply of vaccine. That's fine. And every president would have done it, but I'm glad that, that Biden did it. Right, that's a very good thing. I want more people to be vaccinated because if you look at the statistics from Israel, what you have seen is that now the death and illness from COVID is almost entirely in the under 60 crowd because everybody over the age of 60 has gotten the vaccine, which is really good. But here's the thing. The, the end policy for Democrats right now seems to be we are going to lock down forever. We're going to mask forever until the end of time. I'm not kidding because the standards they are currently setting are not plausible under any circumstances. They're talking about closing schools until the end of time. They're talking about socially distancing until the end of time. So they brought out these ridiculous Center for Disease Control standards over the weekend. Now, recall that when Donald Trump was president, there there was an article every single day, every day 
about how Trump was putting pressure on the CDC to change its standards. And they admitted after Trump's presidency, yeah, the changes that we made were pretty minor. These are not minor changes. The CDC standards on school reopenings are just utterly asinine. They make no sense at all. They are ridiculous on their face. So they put out a chart. Okay, the chart separated American counties into four, four separate categories, ranked from red on the upper end to blue on the lower end, sort of like the old terror chart in the United States. You remember this one? Where it was like high, it was like the, the fire chart. It's like red zone of terror, orange zone of terror. Amazingly, America has never been in the blue zone of terror like the entire time. Okay, well, the same thing is true of COVID. So high transmission was a certain number and then substantial transmission and then moderate transmission was yellow and then low transmission was blue. Okay, so they say in all of these circumstances, we have to implement five key mitigation strategies. One, universal and correct use of masks required. Universal and correct use of masks required for presumably three and four-year-olds. Not going to happen. You can't educate most adults on how to use a mask properly. My four-year-old son's pretty good at it. Like, he'll, he'll wear the mask. But I got to tell you, like, I'm sure there are times where he takes off his mask. Physical distancing, hand washing, and respiratory etiquette. Yes, I'm sure you're going to teach a five-year-old how not to cough. Cleaning and maintaining healthy facilities. Contact tracing in combination with isolation and quarantine. The CDC standards, by the way, recommend that if somebody in the class has COVID, the entire class be put out of class for 14 days, even if they have a negative test after five which is totally anti-scientific. It's ridiculous. They say that symptomatic students, teachers, and staff in close contact should be referred for diagnostic testing. Okay, then for low transmission and moderate transmission counties, they say that K-12 through schools should be open for full in-person instruction, physical distancing of six feet or more to the greatest extent possible. And they say that sports and extracurricular activities can occur, but there should be physical distancing of six feet or more to the greatest extent possible, which is like, okay, I don't understand how you're going to play basketball with six feet of distancing, but sure. Okay, then you get to the upper end counties, right? Substantial transmission in orange and high transmission in red. For these, the CDC now recommends elementary schools should be in hybrid learning mode or reduced attendance. Physical distancing of six feet or more is not recommended. It should be required. Middle and high schools in hybrid learning mode or reduced attendance in the substantial transmission or orange area. Physical distancing of six feet or more is required. No sports or extracurricular activities unless they are held outdoors with physical distancing. And then in the high transmission or red zones, then you can only attend in hybrid learning mode or reduced attendance. Middle and high schools in virtual only instruction. Okay, so no middles, no middle and high schools open at all in the red zones, right? And they, they or unless they can strictly implement all mitigation strategies and have few cases, schools that are already open can remain open, but only if they strictly implement mitigation strategies and have few cases. And all sports and extracurricular activities should be virtual only. Okay, now here's the thing. The research on this has shown schools are not the chief vectors of transmission, particularly true for elementary schools, also true for younger middle schoolers. But even if you're talking about high schoolers and junior hires, those kids are not getting seriously ill from this disease. This disease is not deadly on the scale of other diseases with regard to people who are under the age of 20. It is not. Okay, it is significantly less deadly for people under the age of 20 than the flu is. How about the risk for teachers? It turns out that the studies show there is no additional risk to teachers against the baseline of just being a normal human adult moving around in American society to being to, to teaching in a school. I'm as of yet unaware of a single teacher in America. If you can name me one, I'm happy to hear it. I am not personally aware of a teacher in America who has died as a result of obtaining COVID at a school from a student. There are people who have obtained COVID and died, I believe, from other teachers, but not from the students as far as I'm aware in the United States. So the CDC says that everybody in a red and an orange zone should be back in hybrid learning mode or not in school at all. So what does that mean? 
And I mean, using these zones. Okay, but maybe most of these places are in blue. Most, maybe most of America's in blue or yellow and not in red or orange. Um, nope. Here is the map of the United States. Here's a map that shows, two maps. First one shows which schools are open and which schools are not open. Okay, the ones that are that are uh, the, the darkest purple here are the ones that are essentially completely open. And then the, the, it kind of gradates down, right? So 80 to 100% open would be like Florida, Texas, Louisiana, right? Most of the upper Midwest, uh, places like North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, Wyoming, right? Those places are going to be almost all open. And then there are a bunch of states that are mostly open, right? That remains most of the South, most of the, mid- the Midwest, uh, Arizona, right? They, they, those places are mostly open. Then there are places that are kind of halfway open. Right? That'd be like, that, that would be like uh, Michigan, uh, Wisconsin, right? Those states are kind of like halfway open, like 40 to 60% open. And then there are places that are almost not open at all. And that would be essentially California, Washington, Oregon, going up the West Coast of the United States. But bottom line is this at least half of American states are 60% or more open, okay? And there are some states like Florida that are completely open. And by the way, Florida has been completely open for months. My kids have been in school the entire year. When there was a kid, who, when there was a teacher who was sick, she went home. When there was a student who was sick in the middle school, the class went home until a few days had passed and then people took negative tests and came back. Okay, the schools have been open in Florida. They never closed. They didn't close in Florida. Okay, and here is what the map would look like if it were up to the CDC, every red or orange area in the United States would be closed for business with regard to schools. They'd go back to hybrid learning or virtual learning only if you're in a red or an orange zone. If you can't see this map, it is safe to say that literally 100% of all counties in the United States are yellow, orange, or red, and probably 99% are red or orange. Okay, so in other words, if it were up to the Biden administration and the CDC for the Biden administration, they would reshut all the schools that are already open. That is what they would be doing. In fact, Jake Tapper pointed this out with CDC Director Walensky. He said, um, if it were up to you guys, 99% of all kids in all schools would be barred from going to school right now. And, uh, and Walensky was like, well, yeah, you know, in the red zone, um, we should even have hybrid elementary schools. Walensky said two weeks ago, that schools should be open and teachers don't need to be vaccinated. Now she has flipped on a dime and she says in the red zones, everything should be shut. And nearly all of America is red zone. Here's Rochelle Walensky from the CDC with Jake Tapper on CNN. Tapper, by the way, did a good job in this interview. In that red zone, we advocate for hybrid elementary school um, because we believe those K-5 to kids are, A, transmitting less, and B, um, really essential to have back in the classroom. Um, and if you're in middle school or high school, we would advocate for virtual learning for that group or if you're able to do six feet of strict six feet of distancing in those classrooms to open remotely in a hybrid uh, way. Okay, this is madness. And it's completely different with what she was saying five minutes ago. Five minutes ago, Walensky was saying that the schools should be open and teachers should be going back to school. Really, like, oh, we played it last week. She literally said that last week. And then the Biden administration said, oh, she was speaking in her personal capacity. And then magically, the CDC completely shifted and they changed their guidance to be completely anti-scientific. There is now significantly more evidence that the Biden administration is cramming down its political teachers unions standards on the science than that Trump ever did this. The rap on Trump with regard to the science that Trump was ignoring the science and forcing scientific agencies to mirror him. And this is the rap on, on Trump all the time, right? going all the way back to Trump redrawing the hurricane path with regard to Alabama. You remember this with the Sharpie. 
Okay, well, here's the thing. When it comes to actual hard scientific standards, there's way more evidence that the CDC just radically shifted its own standards in order to meet the demands of Joe Biden specifically and the teachers unions that run him than there is that Trump ever did anything like that. And Fauci's doing the same thing, by the way. Right, Anthony Fauci is... Yeah, I've grown increasingly critical of Fauci over the past year. At the beginning, I was like, you know, I think he's a guy trying to do his best. Then he started appearing on the cover of In Touch magazine. I was like, okay, this is a guy who's really enjoying his celebrity way too much. He's given us conflicting guidance on a variety of issues ranging from masks to school reopenings. Now, Anthony Fauci, who five minutes ago was saying, you know what we should do? Reopen the schools. It's imperative, actually, that we we reopen the schools. You know how much cost it's having in terms of our kids that we can't reopen the schools? Now you have Anthony Fauci, the greatest doctor outside of Joe Biden in American history, saying that we actually should not reopen the schools. The only way we should reopen the schools, according to Anthony Fauci, is if, wait for it, wait for it, Joe Biden's stimulus plan passes. Now, we still have half a billion dollars, apparently, in funding for schools that has not been used yet from the last tranche of spending. But that doesn't matter. Does it sound like a scientific standard to you? Or does it sound like Anthony Fauci has his head up Joe Biden's ass and Joe Biden has his head up the teachers' union's ass? I think that the schools really do need more resources, and that's the reason why the National Relief Act that we're talking about getting passed, we need that. The schools need more resources. The things we didn't have before, there wasn't, that was, there wasn't anything that was put down solidly on paper on saying these are the kind of things that you should consider, these are the kind of things that you should follow. I mean, there was talk about it, but it wasn't actually put down in a single document that you could access the teachers, the educators, and everyone else can. I think it can be done. This is a pathetic joke. I'm sorry, this is a pathetic joke. It has nothing to do with the science. It never had anything to do with the science. It always had to do with political manipulation. It's how Andrew Cuomo became a hero while Ron DeSantis in Florida was the great villain of this ridiculous morality play. DeSantis has been the best governor in America on this stuff. He runs the oldest state in the country. It ranks in terms of deaths per million, somewhere in the 26 range. Okay, and DeSantis has been crapped on by the media while Andrew Cuomo, who is actively lying to the American public and to seniors and to members of his own party about killing seniors by putting them back in COVID-infested nursing homes. I mean, that guy was treated as a hero by CNN and the rest of the media. But this guy's the villain, Ron DeSantis. Here is DeSantis pointing out quite clearly yesterday that, listen, these lockdown policies have not worked. They do not work. He is right. I lived in a lockdown state. California now has the most deaths of any state in the union. And yet DeSantis is the bad guy somehow. Here, here is DeSantis yesterday. If you look right now, states that are always held up by people in Biden's administration, like New York, have way higher per capita patients hospitalized for COVID right now. So there's no basis in medical. There's no basis in economics. There's no basis in reality to do this except to punish a state that is doing it better than what his experts have recommended. Biden is a lockdowner. His advisors are lockdowners. Lockdowns don't work. We've demonstrated that we're not turning back, Maria, and they will not be able to get away with targeting Florida. Yeah, good, good for DeSantis, who's been excellent on this stuff, and yet somehow he's the villain of the piece. By the way, there's now evidence emerging that what I'm accusing the Biden administration of, which is being run by the teachers' unions and twisting the science in order to achieve their desired ends, that that is, is well-supported. I'm going to give you that evidence in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that life is just better when you are wearing a comfortable pair of underwear. It's something you don't think about, but when you're wearing a really uncomfortable pair of underwear, it can absolutely wreck your day. Tommy John underwear, it is the best underwear on the market. 
When you're wearing Tommy John, you are that much more comfortable. You can do everything better. That's why Tommy John doesn't have customers. They have fanatics. Because with dozens of comfort innovations, once you've tried Tommy John, you're never going back. This is true. I throw, I literally threw away all my other underwear that were not Tommy John underwear. Innovations like breathable, lightweight, moisture-wicking fabric with four times the stretch of competing brands with over 13 million pairs sold. Men across America love Tommy John underwear because they keep everything in place. No more flopping or sticking. And Tommy John underwear comes with that non-rolling waistband for the perfect fit the legs that never ride up, and you are covered with their no wedgie guarantee, which has come in super handy for me many times. Returns and exchanges are free. Right now, you get 15% off your first order at TommyJohn.com slash Ben. That is 15% off Tommy John underwear and loungewear at TommyJohn.com slash Ben. That's TommyJohn.com slash Ben. See the site for details. TommyJohn.com slash Ben. I love their stuff. My wife loves their stuff. Everybody loves their stuff. It's great. 15% off TommyJohn.com slash Ben. Okay, we're gonna get to more on the CDC standards, plus Joe Biden continuing to trot out more and more radical policy. I thought this was the moderate administration. First, got to remind you, I'm sure you know, actress Gina Carano has been making her way through the news cycle recently. She starred in the hit Disney Plus show, The Mandalorian, and then she was canceled from the series and by her talent agency because she criticized the tyranny of the woke Hollywood mob. Now, at one point of time, that would have been the end of the story, right? That just would have been another conservative who was thrown out of the culture and then that the news cycle would have moved on. That is no longer the case because we here at The Daily Wire, we reject cancel culture and everything the authoritarian left stands for and we are prepared to fight back and we are putting our money where our mouth is. That is why we just announced a movie deal with Gina. So she will be developing, producing, and starring in an upcoming film that will be released exclusively to Daily Wire members. We've all said it. Conservatives need to do more than complain and critique and whine about the culture. We have to stop running away from the culture. We need to be the creators and influencers who challenge the leftist narrative in Hollywood. We do that by creating excellent art that stands on its own in the world of entertainment. And that's why we are so excited to be announcing our new partnership with Gina. The woke mob, they thought that they were going to get away with this. They've got another think coming. Now, here's the thing. Disney Plus, they have $8 billion to spend per year. $8 billion with a B. We've got you. So, Join us today in the fight to take back our culture. Head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code Gina, that's G-I-N-A, to get 25% off your membership today. This is The Way. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. So here's the thing. I actually have evidence. When I say that the Biden administration is run by the teachers unions, that we have the human centipede of poop politics, and at the very top of that chain is the teachers union followed by Joe Biden, followed by the CDC, and then apparently followed by the media. So we are we are four deep in this human centipede right now. Listen to this report. Okay, so a Friday press conference, CDC said this, that the standards that they are using, quote, must be based on a thorough review of what the science says. U.S. works and an understanding of the lived experiences, challenges, and perspectives of teachers and school staff, parents and students. Apparently, they conducted in-depth reviews. This is from the CDC transcript of their last press conference. We've conducted an in-depth review of the available science and evidence base to guide our recommendations. And we've also engaged with many education and public health partners to hear firsthand from parents and teachers directly about their experiences and concerns. These sessions were so informative and direct changes to the guidance were made as a result of them. The decision to go back to in-person instruction is not one any of us take lightly. Believe me, I know this is what Walensky was saying. At CDC, we have thoroughly reviewed the science and engaged with stakeholders as we worked to produce an operational strategy to support safe in-person instruction and protect teachers, students, and other school staff. That is uh, that is spectacular stuff right there. I mean, truly spectacular. That you now have the uh, you, you now have Rochelle Walensky openly admitting 
that they changed the scientific standards based on input from the stakeholders. And now you may have heard of this term stakeholders before because it's very often used with regard to stakeholder versus shareholder capitalism. Quick review on that. So when it comes to corporations, the typical conservative viewpoint is that corporations live to serve their shareholders. If you own a share in the corporation, it is the job of the corporation to maximize the potential value of your share, which makes sense. You're the one with skin in the game, right? You bought a share of Nike and now you want that share of Nike to go up. So Nike has to make both short and long-term decisions designed at maximizing the stock price of your shares. Then along come a bunch of people who are on the social left and they say, you know what? No, companies need to be thinking about the stakeholders, right? People who are not involved with the company, just people who are sort of outside the system, but may have an interest in in what Nike does. So if you care about shoes more generally or the environment or people who are living in China, then you ought to impact Nike's policy. The problem is that this turns corporate boards into politicians. Okay, the same thing is true when it comes to the CDC. The CDC has one mandate and one mandate only, and that is to give scientific guidance. I was told this over and over and over during the Trump era, right? You were too. Follow to science. Right. The science is the only thing that matters, the science. And if you don't follow the science, this makes you a bad person. Now you have the CDC openly acknowledging that they changed their scientific guidance based on the stakeholders, people who don't actually have skin in the scientific game. They have other arenas of concern. They have other things they have to worry about, like, can we get our teachers more pay for sitting at home and doing nothing? That's what the teachers unions are doing. But apparently we're now going to take stakeholders into consideration, not the parents, not the parents. The parents who want their kids back in school, the teachers unions. I mean, this is extraordinary stuff. So now we have a Biden administration that is openly ignoring the science on schools in favor of two con- and ignoring the science on vaccines in favor of two outside considerations that have nothing to do with the science. One is what the teachers unions want to do, because when it comes to reopening schools, that's what they care about, what the teachers unions want to do, because one of the greatest scams in American life is that y- public sector unions exist in many states and in the federal government. They bargain not against their employers. They bargain against the taxpayers because in the end, the taxpayers are the employers, but they also elect the people they are bargaining with because they spend hundreds of millions of dollars every election cycle to elect a bunch of Democrats they can then bargain with so the Democrats can give them taxpayer money. And then they, in turn, can take a portion of that and give it back to the politicians to keep them elected. It's the most corrupt thing in American politics. It is openly corrupt. There's not even a shred of of cover for the corruption that exists here. And those are the people making the scientific standards. And then when it comes to vaccine, you have the Biden administration pushing equity, equity, right? Because we have to determine what special racial group should receive additional privilege or non-privilege in the American system. This is not an administration that gives a damn about science. This is an administration that cares about outside values. They're not following the science. They're following value systems and value judgments that win them elections. That's all this is. So don't give me that this administration is motivated by higher values. They are literally taking school reopening standards and they are twisting them inside the CDC. The very thing they accused Donald Trump of doing, but didn't really occur inside the CDC. They are now openly doing in plain sight in our media are like, <laughs> it's good because Joe Biden's doing it now. Because remember, the threat to your liberty is, is not the people who are openly threatening your liberty by ignoring hard data and ignoring their own jobs in order to gain power. It's the orange man bad who's not even in office anymore. Keep your, keep your eye on that prize there, gang. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, you may have noticed we're experiencing a ton of global instability as primary season continues. How are you protecting your family in the midst of all of this chaos and nonsense? The fact is there is one asset that has withstood famine, war, political and economic upheaval dating all the way back to biblical times. That, of course, would be gold. It's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. Birch Gold Group can help you with that. 
Birch Gold can help you create a well-thought-out, balanced investment strategy. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold without paying a penny out of pocket. Diversify into gold today. Just text Ben to 989898 for a free info kit. With an A-plus rating, with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to check out Birch Gold today. Text Ben to 989898. Claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Smart investors diversify. And when you look at the pace of inflation over the past several years, you can see financial instability is the new way of the world. Text Ben to 989898 to get started with Birch Gold today. Text Ben to 989898 and talk to my friends over at Birch Gold. Okay, meanwhile, you've got the Biden administration pushing for more and more power. So over the weekend, Joe Biden called for gun control. You knew this was coming. Remember good old Joe? He said that he, he doesn't oppose guns, good old Joe. He's the kind of guy who owns a, I own a shotgun. And if you ever have a problem, by the way, Joe Biden's knowledge about shotguns, the, if you could somehow crystallize that knowledge into material form, Joe Biden's knowledge about guns could fit inside a very small thimble. The man is an idiot when it comes to this. I mean, when it comes to many things, but particularly this stuff. Right? This is a guy who has suggested, I'm not kidding, in past interviews, that if somebody is at your door and you are afraid of them, you should blast a shotgun blast through the door, which is what Oscar Pistorius did and then ended up killing somebody in South Africa. Like, that's illegal. You can't do that. Also, he suggested that you never have to fire an anger at somebody, really. You just go up to your balcony and you fire your gun in the air. I don't know if he's been watching too many cowboy movies with dog-faced pony soldiers or such, but like his knowledge about gun is just, like, he doesn't know anything. He's a moron. Okay, so... He has now come out and he has suggested that he wants wide-scale gun bans, essentially, which should not be a shock to any of you. Some of us were saying this at the time. Remember, he invited up on the stage Beto. He said that Beto O'Rourke, brah, was going to run gun policy. The same Beto O'Rourke who had suggested that he absolutely was in favor of gun confiscations. Joe Biden said this upon his nomination, right? On Super Tuesday, he said this. He's so... Joe Biden has now called on Congress to pass what he calls, quote, common sense gun law reforms. The statement comes from Biden on the three-year anniversary of the school shooting massacre in Parkland. Quote, three years ago today, a lone gunman took the lives of 14 students and three educators at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. In seconds, the lives of dozens of families and the life of an American community were changed forever. For three years now, the Parkland families have spent birthdays and holidays without their loved ones. They've missed out on the experience of sending their children off to college or seeing them on their first job after high school. Like far too many families, they've had to bury pieces of their soul deep within the earth. Like far too many families, and indeed, like our nation, they've been left to wonder whether things would ever be okay. These families are not alone in big cities and small towns, in schools and shopping malls. This is all Joe Biden's statement. In churches, mosques, synagogues, and temples, in movie theaters and concert halls, on city street corners that will never get a mention on the evening news, all across our nation, parents, spouses, children, siblings, and friends have known the pain of losing a loved one to gun violence. And in this season of so much loss, last year's historic increase in homicides across America, including the gun violence disproportionately devastating black and brown individuals in our cities, has added to the number of empty seats at our kitchen tables. I love that he just slides that in. So there's been this massive increase in homicide, particularly in America's major cities. Did that have to do with lack of gun control? Quick quiz question. What are the gun control likes in, uh, gun control laws like in um, L.A., Chicago? New York, Washington, D.C. Loose, are they? Oh, maybe that increase in homicide was because you and your political allies decided to back a Black Lives Matter movement that actively suggested cutting funding to the police and, and instead replacing those police officers with social workers. Maybe that has something to do with something. Maybe it's that you have spent the last several years declaring, along with Kamala Harris, that the police are systemically racist. And this has led to police officers being like, you know what? 
I'm not going to go to that call because if I am caught on tape doing the right thing, there's a good shot I end up getting prosecuted. So you know what? I'll just wait until the thing's over and then I'll respond. It's led to the end of proactive policing. Or maybe it's because you've seen departments across the United States withdraw funding. By the way, you know who finally realized this? Minneapolis. Minneapolis yesterday came out with the announcement that they had to add $6.4 million to the police budget. Oh, you mean that whole defunding the police thing didn't work? I can't believe it. I can't believe it. So Joe Biden just sticks right in the middle of this. He blames the increase in murders across the United States and in inner cities, not on the Black Lives Matter movement's riotous offspring, but instead, or on the on the Black Lives Matter movement's policy push to get rid of cops. Instead, he puts it on gun control, which makes less than zero sense. It is anti-sense. Okay, so he continues, today, as we mourn with the Parkland community, we mourn for all who have lost loved ones to gun violence. Over these three years, the Parkland families have taught us all something profound. Time and again, they've showed us how we can turn our grief into purpose to march, organize, and build a strong, inclusive, durable movement for change, et cetera, et cetera. He says, this administration will not wait for the next mass shooting to heed that call. We will take action to end our epidemic of gun violence and make our schools and communities safer. So first of all, all of the sort of semantic game playing that happens with regard to gun control is evident in this statement. Whenever he says things like gun violence, understand guns don't violent themselves. Guns are tools. Like the pen I am holding, this pen cannot write by itself. Otherwise, it would be magic. Guns do not fire themselves. If you wish to disincentivize people shooting one another, perhaps we should have more cops on our streets. But again, this goes very much against what Joe Biden is in favor of. Also unanswered remains the question as to why there are certain areas of the United States with extraordinary levels of gun ownership, and yet very, very low gun murder rates. Places like, for example, Vermont, which has very, very lax gun laws. They never answer these these particular questions because the questions are awkward. Right? Why is it that Switzerland has very high levels of gun ownership and very little gun violence? Perhaps people pulling the trigger is really the problem, not inanimate objects sitting there on the table. So there is that euphemism that's always used, gun violence, as opposed to, you know, the problem of murder. Because if you if you broaden it out and you say the problem of murder, then instead of focusing on the instrument of the murder, you might focus on the people responsible for the murder and try and capture them and put them in jail. But that's not what Joe Biden wants to do. He's very much in favor of fewer people in jail, including people who are dangerous. Also, when he says the epidemic of gun violence, okay, an epidemic is something that spreads from person to person. I have never been infected with this epidemic because it's not an epidemic. It's people committing acts of evil. Evil is not an epidemic. It's not catchable. You have to decide to engage in an act of evil, like shooting a gun at another human being. Anyway, Joe Biden then gets to his policy preferences. He says, today I'm calling on Congress to enact common sense gun law reforms. By the way, common sense in Democrat speak is I don't have any evidence to back this, but I think it might be a good idea, so let's do it. Democrats have yet to provide a proposal that would have stopped what happened at Parkland. They've yet to provide a proposal that would have stopped what happened at Sandy Hook. They've yet to provide a proposal that would have stopped what happened in the San Bernardino shooting. All of their proposals are actively geared toward not doing those things. And they admit as much. Barack Obama used to admit this. He used to say this, right? People would ask him, so you want to pass a a gun law after Sandy Hook that wouldn't have stopped Sandy Hook? And he'd be like, it's true. It might not have stopped Sandy Hook, but it might stop another shoot. Okay, well, yeah, but that's not what we're talking about, are we? Like, how about a a gun law that's calibrated to the particular policy you're talking about? One of the reasons, by the way, that Democrats keep focusing in on mass shootings as opposed to the everyday problem of people killing each other with guns is because usually when people kill each other with guns, it is done with handguns. Mass shootings are disproportionately done with long guns. Democrats want to go after long guns because long guns look scary. And also because long guns are easier to regulate and they're easier to track. There are too many handguns in circulation and they know this. So instead, they just ignore handguns. And so 
the reality is what Democrats would love more than anything else is a vast gun confiscation. That's what they would want. Hillary Clinton has praised the Australian gun buyback plan, which was a mandatory gun buyback. By the way, still ended with only one third of the guns in Australia actually being turned in. So Joe Biden says, I'm calling on Congress to enact common sense gun law reforms, including requiring background checks on all gun sales, which means that if I sell a gun to my brother-in-law, then this means that they want a background check. So it's, in order for that to happen, you would need a, a national gun registry. That is the only way for that to happen is for the government to know every single gun in America and where it is and how it is and how it is transmitted hands. Banning assault weapons. He doesn't define assault weapons, but assault weapons presumably include all the scary looking ones and high capacity magazines and eliminating immunity for gun manufacturers. OK, now this is the big one. So Democrats have been pushing for a long time this idea that gun manufacturers should be on the hook liably. They should be they should have liability. They should be liable for a bad person misusing their their gun. This does not exist in any other category of products liability. It doesn't, right? If I were to take a, a chainsaw, which is normally used for cutting down trees, and I were to go over to my neighbor's house and I were to chainsaw my neighbor, you know who would not be liable is the chainsaw manufacturer. Because among the non-recommended uses, chainsawing my neighbor, if I were to wood chipper somebody like Fargo, the person's family could not then sue the wood chipper and say, you know what? Not really your fault, but you sold the wood chipper to that guy and that guy was bad news. Okay, the purpose of a gun is not to shoot an innocent person. The purpose of a gun is to defend yourself or to defend liberty in the final instance. Okay, but if that gun is misused, the notion that the gun manufacturer should be somehow liable for that is a way of putting gun manufacturers out of business. That's what it is. That's what it is designed to do. It is not that gun manufacturers have some sort of exemption in law is that gun manufacturers ought not be liable for the misuse of their products to do bad things. It is a very silly suggestion that that be done, except it's not silly. It's an attempt to destroy gun manufacturers. That is what he wants. He wants legal liability extended to people who misuse your product. It doesn't exist in any other area of American law. So that, that is what Joe Biden is pushing for. Yeah, this is this moderate Joe, good old moderate Joe who loves guns, we've been told. Meanwhile, Joe Biden is about to allow ten, tens of thousands of illegal immigrants into Texas and California communities. According to John Binder reporting for Breitbart, President Joe Biden's Department of Homeland Security is planning to release about 25,600 migrants who have been in Mexico into American communities in Texas and California, according to Breitbart News. After Biden ended the Remain in Mexico policy, which drastically reduced asylum fraud by keeping migrants in Mexico while they await asylum hearings in the United States, DHS announced it would begin processing the 25,600 migrants in the program on February 19th. Ultimately, all of those migrants will enter the United States interior. Internal communications from, that Breitbart News has reviewed show DHS plans to release the migrants in San Diego, El Paso, and Brownsville, Texas. Those were locations the Biden administration refused to divulge to the AP when asked. In San Diego, DHS plans to process and release about 300 migrants a day within two weeks of February 19th. By the way, the Remain in Mexico policy makes a lot of sense, but the, the Biden administration is attempting to end it because they don't actually oppose illegal immigration in any serious way. Meanwhile, in other radical Biden administration policy, so I had been informed by administrations of both parties that the American alliance with Israel was unshakable. Remember, they kept saying over, we're not an anti-Israel administration. No, they kept saying this in Obama's administration. Sure, they were allowing radically anti-Semitic UN resolutions to go forward in the last days of the Biden administration, of the Obama administration. Sure, they pushed forward an Iran nuclear deal that put at existential risk Israel, but they weren't anti-Israel. Well, now... The mask is kind of slipping here. So Jen Psaki, the garbage White House press secretary, she was asked specifically if Saudi Arabia and Israel were allies of the United States. Now, normally the answer to that question is yes. 
They are because they have historically been allies to the United States. Doesn't mean you can't hold your allies accountable. We have lots of allies we disagree with. But to pretend that Israel is not an ally of the United States is crazy. And we are now, I mean, Joe Biden was put into office on February 20th. We've now, on January 20th, we've now had nearly a month and Joe Biden still has not put in a call to Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu of Israel. A month. He's talked to world leaders all over the place. He's talked to enemy world leaders. He's talked to friendly world leaders. He still has not called Benjamin Netanyahu. Why? Because Joe Biden doesn't like Netanyahu. And because the Democrats in power do not like Israel. They made this rather clear yesterday. Jen Psaki refused to acknowledge Israel as an ally and said she'd have to circle back on that. Does the administration still consider the, the Saudis and the Israelis important allies? Uh, well, uh, you know, again, I think we uh, there are ongoing processes and internal interagency processes, one that we, I think, confirmed in an interagency meeting just last week to discuss a range of issues uh, in the Middle East. Um, we're, we've only been here three and a half weeks, uh, and I think I'm going to let those policy processes see themselves through before we give kind of a complete laydown of what our national security approaches will be to a range of issues. Oh, okay, so she doesn't know where they are on that one. That seems like a pretty easy answer, but they can't give it because this administration is radical. It was always going to be radical. Some of us warned that it was a Trojan horse for radicalism. Americans decided to vote for that anyway. Well, now Americans are going to get the benefit of the bargain. We are going to get it good and hard. All righty. We're going to be here later today with an additional hour of content. In the meantime, go check out the Michael Knowles Show. He's discussing Megan McCain's take on the Lincoln Project. You can hear more details about that story over on Michael's show. It's available right now. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Wydowski. Our associate producers are Rebecca Doyle and Savannah Dominguez. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Fabiola Cristina. Production assistant, Jessica Kranz. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright 2021. The Senate votes not to convict Donald Trump, making him the most acquitted president in American history. My doppelganger resigns from the White House. And President Biden remakes U.S. policy. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 